We're concluding our series this morning entitled, Did God Really Say? Now, we've talked about a lot of statements that have been made by people and by God and wondered, is that really how God speaks to us in his word? Quite honestly, all of these questions have been building to this question today. Uh, Did God really say that there is value in every human life, that you are valuable? Did God really say that there is is a purpose and a, a uniqueness to the identity of how God created you? Did God really make you special? Did God really say that there is an eternity that we must live in, a heaven and a hell? Did God really say that salvation is only through Jesus Christ? All of these questions that we, we dig into boil down to this question. Did God really say there is one way to know him? We're going to be in John 14, verse 6. We're going to be a couple other places, but, but this is going to be our key verse this morning, John 14, 6. And as always, we're going to begin by asking the question, just as it's presented, did God really say there's only one way to salvation? And of course, like many of our other did God really say questions, we're going to find that Scripture affirms this question. We may call it into doubt, but Scripture clearly says it. So after we look at where the Bible says it, we're going to ask ourselves, what am I supposed to do with that now? How should I respond to the fact that we have an answer to this question? So let's begin just by answering. Did God really say there's only one way to salvation, only one way to know Him? And in John 14, verse 6, we have as clear a verse as you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if there's any confusion, any question, does Jesus believe he's the only way to have a right relationship with God? Does the Bible really teach that Jesus and Jesus alone is how you can know God the Father. Did Jesus really believe that? John 14, 6 answers it emphatically. Now, I've warned you not to take verses out of context. I would encourage you to read all of John 14. Our Sunday school lesson this morning did a really good job of kind of expanding on the nature of who God is and how he works. So if you were, I think Clint's class is also in the same curriculum we are. Um, So a couple of different classes went through how God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. They each have a role. The role of Jesus Christ is, as he states here, to be the one to bring you to the Father. He's the only one who can do it. In case you're wondering if this is the only place that Jesus affirms that, it's not. Let's not just pick one verse and answer this question. Let's look elsewhere at to what God says, what Jesus says about the nature of salvation. Look with me a little bit later in John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's only one true God and only one who is sent from God, that is Jesus Christ. And and this verse doesn't say, and this is something good to know, that it says, and this is eternal life. Do you want to know what eternal life is? Do you want to know how to live forever with the God who created you? Do you want to know the truth about who God is? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. Not the fake gods, not the idols, not the the pagan gods, the one and only single true God. 
Acts chapter 4. As the apostles are spreading out, spreading a message of repentance, we have this verse in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This understanding that salvation cannot be found by looking anywhere else. There is one person, one name, one God alone who can save. In the book of John, there was a a portion in chapter 6 where there's a lot of Jesus' followers who are deserting him. Not the the 12 main ones. We have the 12 disciples, but he had had dozens and and possibly up to 500 people who followed him from place to place and just kind of listened to him as he preached. And in John 6, many of them are starting to desert. They're starting to doubt. They're getting tired of seeing the miracles over and over again. Boy, isn't that so boring to have to see Jesus continue to resurrect people from the dead and keep making lame people walk and blind people see? They got bored eventually. This should teach us, by the way, it doesn't matter how much you study the Word of God, if you don't have a relationship with Him, you're going to get bored, right? These people are leaving Him left and right, and so so Jesus asks the disciples just point blank, listen, they're all going. They're they're done. Do any of you guys want to leave too? Do you guys want to go? The answer that Peter gives him reveals the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was. Look in John 6, verse 68 and 69. Sam and Peter answered, him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon Peter says, you want us to desert you? There's no other place we can go to get what you have. There's nowhere else we can turn that, that will give us the eternal life that you give us. You, Jesus, you alone have words to eternal life. Following Jesus was a a hard task, still is, but especially for the disciples. It was was difficult travel. It was was leaving behind lives that they had built. It was was an all-in approach, and Jesus says, listen, if you want to go back, can I promise you this? For most of those disciples, if they could have found eternal life anywhere else, they would have gone back. Jesus, if I could find that life on the boat as a fisherman, that's where I would find it. If I could find that eternal life in my tax collector booth and going from door to door and collecting taxes, that's where I would find it. If I could find eternal life in my life of being a zealot, trying to to overthrow the government, that's where I would go and find it. If I could find eternal life anywhere else, that's where I'd be. But you, Jesus, you alone have words of eternal life. So as we ask this question, did God really say there's only one way to salvation? The Bible emphatically over and over and over and over again says there's one way and one way only. That every other way leads away from God. The Bible emphatically says there's one way to salvation. I realize that 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 makes more questions pop into our head. One of the things I really enjoy doing is try to put myself in the shoes of other people. I try to to think how they think. I want to know the questions they have. and, And it's hard to do, but but I've heard enough of these questions to know that and the question becomes, how do you know that your way is the only way? Or that, that maybe all religions say something similar and they all lead to the same place. Why can't this teaching of Scripture be a way and not the way? What if all religions ultimately acknowledge a God and lead to the same place? Are all religions true? 
This isn't a, a, a question that, that we need to turn to Scripture for. Scripture emphatically says there's one way, but if you put yourself in the mind of a lost person, you go, I know the Bible says that, but the Koran says that. And, and by the way, the, the Jewish faith believes that, and, and Buddhists believe that, and you name it believe that. How do you know that all religions aren't essentially saying the same thing? According to a, a Barna study, uh, in 2018, 58% of teenagers and 62% of adults believe this statement. Many religions can lead to eternal life. There is no one true religion. 58% of teens and 62% of adults. By the way, that's not 58% of non-churched or unchristian teens and 62% of non-churched and unchristian adults. Included in these percentages are people who identify emphatically with Christianity and the gospel of the Word of God. Over half of our population believes that all religions eventually get to the same place. And I am not naive enough to think that there aren't individuals in here. I'm looking out at a diverse congregation. I'm not naive enough to think that that's not how some people in here believe. So I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to say, I know the Bible says it, but how do we know? Sean McDowell has a really helpful chart on his website about some basic beliefs, um, about just, just a handful of religions that I want to share with you. You can actually go online to, to Sean McDowell's website. The, the web address is listed real small on the bottom there. I can give it to you later if you want to know. But basically in this chart, he, he wants to lay out this truth that all religions are not the same. In effect, not all religions even claim to be the same. They claim to be diverse and different. So you look, for instance, that in Buddhism, their belief about God is that there is no God. Right? You shift over to Hinduism, and they say, no, 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 we believe there are many gods, thousands, maybe millions of gods. In Islam, they say there is one God in one person, and his name is Allah. And in Judaism, they say, no, there is one God and one God in one person, and his name is Yahweh. And then as Christians, we believe, and I won't blow your minds with this understanding now, that there's one God who exists in three persons. We call it the Trinity. And you look at that and you say, how are all religions the same? Even our way to salvation is different. How does God, if there is a God, want us to be saved? Well, the Buddhists would say, just think hard enough about life and about centeredness and empty your mind and you'll reach this state of nirvana, this, this state of enlightenment. Hinduism says, nope, the, the way you're saved is to live a good enough life that you come back in the next life as something different, maybe something better. In Islam, they've got five pillars you must follow. Follow these rules. In Judaism, obey the law. In Christianity, trust in Jesus Christ and receive grace. Even in that last column, what do they believe about other religions? Well, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity say we're the only way. The only ones. The rest of them have to be false. Hinduism says that all religions are true. But let me throw a curveball to you. They don't really say that. What Hinduism says is that all religions are following a God, and there's so many gods out there that they all fall under the umbrella of Hinduism. So technically, all religions are Hinduism. So do they believe that other religions are true? No, they believe that other religions are Hinduism. They're the only way. You look at this chart, and it's impossible to believe that all religions can be right. Let, let me quote Sean McDowell from, from his article with this chart. He says, Unless we're willing to abandon the law of non-contradiction, 
Buddhism and Judaism cannot possibly both be true. God cannot both exist and not exist. There cannot be one God who exists as one person in Islam and one God who exists in three persons as Christianity. And then listen to this conclusion. The bottom line is this. All religions may be false, but they cannot possibly all be true. Think about that. All religions could, in theory, be false, but there's no possible way that every religion is true and right. So what obligation do you have knowing that not all religions are the same? What obligation do you have knowing that that you can't just hope you fall into a religion that is going to lead you to Jesus Christ or to God, the Creator? I think there's two obligations we have. The first is for those who are seeking or wanting to know, and that is we must search for truth. We have to search for truth. It's just too lazy to say all religions are the same. It's like trying to take the easy way out. I'm just hoping that mine leads a path somehow to get to God. Dr. David Engelman, who's a neuroscientist, came up with a term for himself that he calls a possibilian. He's a a man who studies the brain and studies uh, things of of our psyche, studies reality and the nature of reality. He's got a a great talk about the universe and the expansion of the universe and how, how many different things are out there. And he comes to the conclusion that one of these religions could possibly be true. And he says the same thing. They can't all be true. It's not possible. But one of them could be true. And so he calls himself a possibilian that we could pick one and, and hope that it's the right one. So that's irresponsible as well. It's irresponsible just to say the truth is out there and I don't want to know the truth. It's irresponsible to, to refuse to search for what God has created us to know. The fact is, my eternal life, your eternal life, depends on whether or not you know the truth about who God is and how you can know him. Paul was very aware of this dilemma, this this thought process of of being so many gods and so many religions, and how are we going to know what's right and what's wrong? And in Acts chapter 17, Paul stands in Athens, Greece, the epicenter of, of religious idolatry. He observes hundreds of Greek gods, statues, and idols in, in what they call the uh, Areopagus. And in this sphere, all the philosophers would come in the middle of all of these gods and they would discuss different truths and different ideas and try to discover what is right and what is true. Could it be this God? Could it be that God? They had come up with so many different theories and ideas that they had created a God for everything just in case. So there was a God of the trees over here. And there was a God of the sun over here. And there was a God of the water over here. And there was a God of you name it, to the tune of hundreds and thousands of gods, just so they didn't accidentally forget one. And and in these myriad of gods, they thought, there's no way we'll catch them all. In case we forget one, let's create an idol and we'll just put on it to the unknown God. So if this God ever shows up, we can say, we were worshiping you all along. If you ever try to trick God, that's what they were doing. Well, no, really, this one was yours. It just had the wrong name. Paul recognizes this, and, and he recognizes their desire to know truth. And so he stands up in Acts 17, 23, and he says, I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. 
but therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. And he goes on to share Jesus Christ. He goes on to share the gospel of salvation. There may be a million different options out there, but if you want to know the truth, Paul says, I have what is true. As you study who Jesus is and why we believe that he is the only way to salvation, you can read all through the Bible and, and find out different truths about who Christ is. First of all, 1 Peter 2, 4 says he was chosen by God, the chosen one. John 3, 13 says he's the only one who has ever descended from heaven and returned there. There have been beings who, who have ascended, but nobody who's come down from heaven and gone back. In Hebrews 4.15, Jesus is the only perfect human. Nobody has ever lived a perfect life except for Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2.2 2, and Hebrews 10.26, he is the sacrifice for sin and the only one worthy to be a sacrifice for sin. In Matthew 5.17, he's the one who's come to fulfill the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament. In Hebrews 2.14 and 15, he's the one who comes and can conquer death. In 1 Timothy 2.5, he's the one who mediates between God and humanity. You can talk to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son. And in Philippians 2.9, he's the only God, the only one God has exalted to the highest place. He's been exalted above all else. Why do we believe Jesus is true? Over and over and over again, we see the uniqueness of who Christ is. I realize, again, many of you in your search for truth have a, a ton of questions. Don't all religions claim this uniqueness and this identity? What makes Christ so special? The truth is there are a ton of considerations that we could point to uh, as Christianity being true, and, and more importantly, Jesus Christ being the true Savior. And we have a limited amount of time, and my intention today is not to get into an apologetics um, lecture that could go on for hours. You're welcome. But there is a, a great resource, a, a book that probably has one of the most thorough explanations. It's a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. It's thick, 880 pages of evidence that points to Jesus Christ being the only way to salvation. It begins with the reliability of the Word of God. How do we know the Bible is true? It talks about how historically accurate the records of Jesus were and how not just in the Bible but outside the Bible we see records not just that Jesus lived but that he died and even, get this, that he rose to life again. We see uh, philosophy questions that always come back to and point to the fact that there is a God and he's revealed himself to us. 880 pages of evidence that point to Christianity being the truth. I want to share just, just one that I think is a compelling philosophical question that we ask. And that is who Jesus claimed to be. We can read all throughout the New Testament that Jesus himself claims to be God. In the book of John alone, seven times he refers to himself as I am. That is, that word Yahweh, I am God. Seven times in John alone. Jesus undoubtedly claims to be God himself. And Josh McDowell has come up with, with what I think is a very compelling question to ask. Was Jesus crazy in claiming he was God? Or was he a flat-out liar in that he just wanted to deceive as many people as possible. The, the truth is, if any one of us stood up here on stage and proclaimed to be God, we would run them out of the sanctuary, and rightly so. It would take a crazy person to genuinely believe that they were God. Was Jesus a lunatic? Was he crazy in his belief? 
The problem with this is, is that the evidence of his sanity is overwhelming, particularly how he, how he constructed his own ministry on earth. The way he orchestrated events took not a lunatic, but someone who was not just sane, but, but probably bordering on genius. The way he puts all the pieces together in the New Testament, things fall into place. It couldn't be a madman who carries this out. There's no way Jesus could be a raving lunatic. He had too much sanity and genius about him. So if he's not a lunatic, maybe he was a liar. Maybe he just flat out wanted to deceive everyone who followed him. Maybe perhaps Jesus believed he was God because he wanted glory for himself and wanted to lead as many people astray as possible. The biggest problem with this is the entire message of Jesus in the Gospels is one of morality, of doing what's right, of rebuking sin and wrongdoing. Over and over and over again, Jesus stands for what we all readily acknowledge are moral, godly, right principles. For him to, to be so moral in every way and so deceptive in what would be the biggest lie of his life just seems to contradict itself. Not only that, but, but Jesus believed this so much that he literally died for this belief that he was God. At any point, he could have stepped back and said, just kidding, guys. <laughs> Step back. It was April Fool's. You know, start all over. It's not really me. I just wanted to see how far this could go, and it's gotten too far. Jesus literally laid down his life because he believed what he was saying. Jesus knew he was God. There's no way he was a liar. If he wasn't crazy, he wasn't a liar, that only leaves one option left. And that is he was telling the truth. And he, he really was God. He was the, the one that the whole Old Testament proclaimed. He was the one that all of history points to. He is the only one who is able to save. By the way, that's just one small short chapter. There's a book called Lord, Liar, Lunatic that summarizes it. It's like, I don't know, like 60 pages in 880 pages of evidence that Christianity is the one true way to know God. All throughout the Bible, all throughout Revelation, all throughout the questions we ask at all points, our search for truth to this fact, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has come to earth for the purpose of offering salvation. And you have an obligation to search for that truth. You need to know what the truth is. You have an obligation to ask yourself these questions. Is there a God and how does he save me? A second obligation we have as we, we are searching for truth, many of us have found what we know to be true in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, we, we are now obligated to share that truth. Think about this. If Jesus is the only way to be reconciled with God, the only hope for our broken and sinful lives, if he's the only way that we spend eternity with God in heaven, and the only way that we can avoid the punishment we deserve in hell, we need to tell as many people as possible, this is the ticket. This is the way. When Jesus left the earth after his ministry, he had died and resurrected, miracle, conquered sin and death. He's leaving to go to heaven, and he leaves parting words. These are the words of the most important thing for the people he's leaving behind. It's like the last thing he wants to tell us before he's going to be, be gone for a while. And we, we read these words in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is our mission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of 
all nations. Tell people about Christ. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That is, confirm their salvation. When they find the truth, tell them, yes, you've got it. Let's share that with others. This is the mission. If Jesus Christ is the only way, your response, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is to tell as many people as possible. Our problem is we're, we're not fully understanding the eternal stakes. For us, it's not convenient or we're afraid. And never mind the fact that someone's eternal life hangs in the balance. Francis Chan tells an illustration. I'll still hear it. It's, it's a really good one. He talks about Simon Says. So when I was a kid, we played Simon Says. I think we all know what Simon Says is. It's really easy. Simon Says, pat your head, and you pat your head, right? You know, when you play Jesus Says, it's a little bit different. For some reason, when we play Jesus Says, it, you don't have to do the action. You just have to memorize it. <laughs> Jesus Says, I'll just, I'll just learn it, right? So imagine for just a second, pick on my own daughters. Imagine for just a second, um, I, I tell my daughter Ashton, you need to go clean your room. Your room's a mess. Go clean your room. She comes back to me a little later and she says, hey, Dad, I remember what you said. You said, Ashton, go clean your room, right? Wouldn't I be so proud of her because she memorized my words? But maybe she even goes, I know what you said, and I can say it in Greek. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty smart. And not only that, but a little later on, Dad, I'm going to get a group of friends together. And we're all going to talk about what it would look like if we all just cleaned our rooms, the gospel message is not something we just learn. The gospel message is not just something we memorize. Matthew 28 is not a verse we learned in Bible school. It's a mission. What are you doing with it? Is it, is it enough? Is it enough just to say, I know that God saves? If he really, truly is the only way, and I believe that emphatically with all of my heart, if you believe that Jesus alone provides salvation, we're not just obligated, we're, we're required and compelled to tell as many people as possible. It's going to be an awkward conversation. You know what's more awkward? What's more awkward is spending eternity separated from God. It's going to be hard to get the words out, and we're going to be afraid we might mess it up. You know a guaranteed way you'll mess it up if you don't get the words out. There's no excuse and no reason to back off. If Jesus is the only way, we have a requirement to tell everyone we can tell about that requirement. There's a, a famous comedy magic duo, Penn and Teller. Maybe you've heard of them. They're fun to watch. They're funny and they're, they're talented. Now, Penn Gillette is, is kind of the voice of them. He's He's a, a very strong and outspoken atheist. He's got a, a lot of videos and, and writings about how there is no God and religion is dangerous and all of this. And he tells a story about after one of his shows, um, a, a man came and just presented him with a Bible and talked to him about the gospel. And, and in the video, he says, I don't believe any of it, but I have so much respect for that man because he lives out what he believes. And then his words... I hope cut your heart the way they cut me. Listen to what this atheist, Pendulette, says about, he calls it proselytizing, that is evangelizing or sharing your faith. Listen to what he says. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize or evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? 
be honest with you guys. We're supposed to be people of love. We're supposed to be people of encouragement. We're the only ones who have the way of salvation. And it's not convenient or the right time or it's too awkward for us to share it. Can I tell you, it, if a bus is heading your direction and going to hit you, I'm going to shout at the top of my lungs, move out of the way because I love you too much to see you get hurt. We have eternal life at stake one way and one way only. So we have an obligation not just to memorize it or learn it, but to shout it from the rooftops, to tell anyone and everyone who will listen that Jesus Christ loves them enough to die on the cross for them. Did God really say there is only one way? He sure did. And that one way is through Jesus Christ. This morning, I, I want you to know we're going to do just a, a touch different with our, our closing than what we've been doing the last several months. Because I want you to examine your hearts and ask, do I know the truth that Jesus Christ saves me? I want you to know that, that we've tried to keep our distance and still want to, but I, I want you to know this for this purpose. I was blessed and thankful that I was able to get my vaccine as a clergy member, uh, and I, I've had two doses and I'm two weeks removed. I tell you that because I, I got it partly for my own health, partly because I don't want there to be anything that keeps you from coming and asking me questions. I, I carry a mask around in my pocket. I have people ask me all the time, well, at what point can we stop wearing these? If it makes you comfortable and I can share the gospel with you this morning, I'll strap this on and, and talk to you six, ten feet away. But this morning at our time, in our closing song, I'm going to stand down front. I'm going to be right here and I'll put my mask on. We can go to another room. We can sit six feet apart. We can do whatever it takes to make you comfortable. I want to share with you about how you can know the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way. So would you bow your heads and pray for just a moment? Father, I'm grateful and I'm thankful that you have revealed truth to us. Lord, your word tells us clearly that there is one way by which men can be saved. Father, this morning I pray for those in here who are asking these questions and wondering about whether they can know truth or not. Lord, I pray that they would, not, they would not put off because of an awkward walk down an aisle, that they would not let their eternity rest on whether they're comfortable or not. Father, I pray this morning that you would stir and convict hearts, that you would let every single individual in here know that they can have a right relationship with their Creator through Jesus Christ, died for their sins, and Lord, leads them in his resurrected body. Father, we pray this morning that we would know your truth today and that we would share it for the rest of our lives as long as we have breath. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.